Jane is an all-in-one practice management software that can help you manage your practice with a suite of features that make it easy to meet with individuals, couples, families, and more. Here on Am I a Bad Therapist, we know that two of the most important things to us as therapists are confidentiality and our time. Thankfully, Jane understands that reliability and security are very important parts of running a private practice. Jane's cloud-based software is accessible wherever you have Wi-Fi, and their team is always ready to lend a helping hand. Jane is HIPAA and PEPITA compliant, and your data is stored safely in the country you practice in. So no matter where or how you practice, Jane's always with you in the most secure and helpful way possible. Not only does Jane help us protect our clients, but they help us protect our time too with features like calendar syncing, note templates, online booking, and they have automated reminders and workflows. Which you know we love on Am I a Bad Therapist? And you can learn more at jane.app slash mental health. You can also mention the code bad therapist for a one month grace period on your new Jane account. Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. While we're certainly not promoting actual bad therapy, we are here to shine a light on the messy situations that therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So if there are over a hundred deaths by suicide each day in America, how many therapists lose a client to suicide each day? I don't have the answer to that, Catherine, but I think it highlights the very important piece is that this is a topic we need to keep talking about and why we want to keep bringing this topic to the podcast, to our listeners, for ourselves. And we're going to hear today from Emily about an experience she had losing a client to suicide and how she's processing it and what she's doing moving forward as well. So before we get into it, this is just a reminder that this is not a substitute for ethical guidance, clinical consultation, therapy itself, and we do not endorse bad therapy. All right. Well, this is episode number 66 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We are excited to chat with you today, me in particular. And before we do, um, why don't you share a little bit about yourself with our listeners? Sure. So my name is Emily Walker. I am a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Maryland. 
I do have some telehealth licenses across the country, but Maryland is my base. I am a supervisor of LGPCs as well, and I have been in the field for 10 years. I started my private practice transformative counseling in November 2018 and started to grow in 2020. And I've continued to grow with a really wonderful team of clinicians. So shout out to them. They're really, really great. And we are building towards a holistic practice that I hope to have in the near future that will hope to offer yoga and massage therapy and acupuncture, among other things. So right now, we're mostly telehealth with some in-person sessions. And when I am in person, I do bring my therapy dog, Piper, who is a wonderful participant in therapy. That's amazing. I wish we could see Piper now, but we're on camera. Oh, Send us a picture later. We have to see the pictures of the dogs. Yeah. We, I mean, we have to. <laughs> She's the star. I'm happy to share them. If you're listening, check out Instagram. They will be there, no doubt. <laughs> Allie does not yeah. skimp on pet photos. <laughs> she has an Instagram Never. page, but uh, she's been a little inactive lately. Oh, That's well, okay. We're going to loop it in. <laughs> So Emily, you know, transitioning away from Piper, because that is not a bad therapist move whatsoever. What situation are you going to share with us today that made you wonder, am I a bad therapist? Sure. So within the first year of being a licensed graduate professional counselor, I experienced one of our greatest fears of therapists come to life. And this was while I was a team therapist at a partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient program. So in this program, there were two teams. Each team had one therapist, one nurse, a social worker that would go in between the teams, and my supervisor, who was a therapist and nurse, and she would go in between the teams as well. And every morning, we would do a symptom check-in, suicide, homicide assessment, and this group would be with my nurse. So the two of us would check in with each patient. We had about 10 to 12 patients at any given time. And then in the afternoon, we would do another symptom check-in, another suicide and homicide assessment before the patients left. And this group I did on my own. So I would check in with each patient and then as part of the safety check-in, I was trained to ask, will you be back tomorrow? And then on Fridays, I would ask instead, will you be back on Monday? And I remember this one particular patient was particularly withdrawn and never really connected to the group. And it was a Friday. It's a long week per usual. And I remember asking the patient, will you be back on Monday? And they said, yes. And they didn't come back on Monday. Mm. Wow. So talk us through when you realized this patient that you noticed was particularly withdrawn on Friday. And when you noticed this patient wasn't there on Monday, what went through? What was your first thought? That's such a great question. So what happened was we came into the staff meeting Monday morning and my supervisor starts off the meeting with, I need to tell you guys, we lost a patient over the weekend. Saturday evening, this patient walked in front of a truck and died by suicide. Oh my goodness. And the way I'm feeling right now, I can remember feeling the same thing, that stomach job of, oh my God, that was our patient. But in that moment, it became my patient. Mm -hmm. I lost my patient that weekend. Neglecting to remember, I'm on a team. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, it felt like I lost. You did, yeah. What, well, 
how did the me- how did the meeting progress? Tell us more about what this team, how the team responded. They're all processing. So I think this only might have happened once before this program. This program had been open for a long time. And we were all quietly listening to the details that my supervisor was sharing. And she was so empathetic and wonderful. It was just telling us what happened, asking us if we needed to talk about any of it. But then we also had to be very focused on what we're going to do for our patients today. And I remember her saying, we're going to talk about this today. And we're going to make sure the patients know. And I remember thinking, she's like, why are, we, why are we going to tell them? This feels like a really triggering situation for them. We're talking about suicide and homicide every single day. This feels like it could be a bad idea. But it ended up being a really powerful experience for the patients. And I remember that wow. group therapy session was particularly powerful. And we were so open, all of us talking about suicide and, and where people were with their thoughts and plans and past attempts that they've had and how much people want to live and how much they don't. It was pretty incredible. It really opened the door for that conversation. Yeah. Allie, were you going to say something? Yeah, well, I was going to say, I, not to detract from that, because I do want to hear more about this, but I do want to just backpedal a little bit, because again, as powerful as that sounds like it was, and again, can't wait to hear about it, what did you do for yourself, though? Like, how long was there between this meeting and group? Were you just, like, trying to go into work mode? Like, what did you do for yourself? Did you have time to do anything for yourself in that moment? Like, what happened between that staff meeting and that group? That's a great question. I, there wasn't much time to do anything really for myself. Did I have the space if I needed it? Sure. But admittedly, I have a part of me that says, I'm fine, I'm fine, and pushes through. So that part was pretty present in that space mm-hmm. and, and made sure I was fine. Mm-hmm. And I did give myself moments of having a combination of human and therapist internal experiences. Like I remember acknowledging anger towards this patient and mm-hmm. anger because this person took their life in such a way that affected another person. So I'm thinking about this truck driver. What is this person going through? Because they survived that experience and they have to live with this experience now. And then I'm thinking about the patient's children. How could you do this to your children? These are my my human moments that I'm having. And then I'm also thinking in a therapist's way of, they were never really committed to this program. They came voluntarily, but they came because their family wanted them to. So how much of this was going to happen at some point was going through my head. And, you know, I didn't really even think about the legalities of it at the time. I did eventually. But my supervisor was so take charge in a really wonderful way that I knew if anything happened, she got it. She was going to take care of it. It, it sounds like it, it was a good thing. You were really supported administratively um, mm-hmm. in your organization. Um, however, it sounds like you went from the news of this horrific death by suicide um, and then going almost immediately into a group 
therapy with the other patients on the floor. And I can't imagine, like, I would feel like that would be my group therapy. If I were the therapist feeling very triggered and very activated, what was that group like for you sitting with, and I assume you're sitting with the other patients and you're all grieving this loss together or, or maybe not grieving yet. You're all processing this loss together. Yeah, it was interesting and powerful, but I remember I didn't know how to run this group, so I, my supervisor took charge of it. If it were just me, I would have panicked. I wouldn't have even told them, like I was saying, I didn't even think that was a good idea, but it made sense. So she took charge, and I just followed her lead. And I might have jumped in a couple of times, but to be quite honest with you, I remember that group was kind of a blur for me. Yeah. I can imagine it would be. I again, like it's. We understand, like, I guess you know, we have to move forward in some ways, and we want to be fine and all of that, and you want to support the rest of your patients. But I can't imagine where my own head would be at trying to experience this alongside of the group. And like you said, you're feeling your own human emotions, your own grief, your own questions. It's just I, I don't know how I would respond in that situation. Yeah, I remember at the end of the day, I came home and I told my partner what happened. And then I just went and took a bath. And that was it. And I think I just kind of put it to bed. Okay, that happened. That was terrible. Now what? Let's pause here for a quick ad break. By the way, the number one support for those of us asking ourselves, am I a bad therapist? Our clinical consultation groups. If you don't have one yet, join us on the Teletherapist Network for unlimited peer consultation groups, including a lot of different specialty groups like clinicians of color, LGBTQ+, couples counseling, EMDR, and of course, Creativity in the Clinical Room hosted by me, Allie, plus masterclasses, media leads, and everything else you need for an ethical, modern clinical practice. Join us at teletherapistnetwork.com. Hey, listeners, it's Catherine here, and I'm coming to you today because Allie's not the best at bragging on herself, and I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Allie's Creative Intervention Library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you want to access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website cccs.care and sign up for free today. And now let's circle back to the show. What happened next? I didn't really talk about it much. I, I don't think I created the space for that. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think the unsigned part was pretty powerful and helped me get through the job because God, we're talking about suicide every single day, all day in this program. And got very comfortable with talking about suicide because of this. And it became this background experience that I had in my professional career so early on that happened. So I, I, I'm wondering, 
Did the conversation around this particular patient's suicide continue after the day the news broke? Did you and your team continue to process together? What what was it like continuing to work with the people who also experienced this loss of their patient? Yeah, I remember feeling responsible. And I remember you in particular. Like, yeah, me in particular, because that was my afternoon group. So it felt like if anyone was going to emergency petition this person, it was going to be me. You were the last point of contact. Yeah. Did anyone ever say anything to you or address that? Yeah. Yeah. My supervisor did, and that was really great. I remember she kept trying to push, this is not just your patient. This isn't private practice. This isn't your individual patient, this was your team patient. You're not the only person here. I can only imagine that having this be what one year you said out of licensure, you're part of a team, probably, I would assume if you're only one year out of licensure, probably more tenured than you, you're with a team, you feel like you let them down in literally the biggest way possible. That's what mm-hmm. your, you know, irrational brain is telling you. I can't imagine you didn't project this onto your future as a therapist. What did you think your future had in store? A great question. Huh, I give myself the space to think about that. I was more cautious. And at the same time, more comfortable. So I think this experience, although terrible and tragic, and not one that any of us wants to experience, it was really helpful to have so early on in my career. Because it was just really helpful to reminder that patients and clients are going to die. And sometimes by suicide. And there's only so much we can do. And it's interesting you say it in that way because it is so true, right? Like that is like a fact of life that people are going to die. But I feel like this topic is still one that doesn't come up enough for us as therapists. Like it almost feels like still like this, you know, thing that belongs in a closet or shameful or it's any of these different things. And it's vulnerable, of course, Mm -hmm. but it still doesn't get talked about a lot. And which is why we're so grateful you are talking about it today. But it can that like it loops back to it's like, but it's it is inevitable and it does Mm -hmm. happen, but still we're not talking about it enough. Well, I could go into if you want to talk about the repression of death in our culture, we can go into that later. But it is a big systemic issue. It's not just suicide, right? It's death in general. Mm -hmm. But when you put that extra layer, like you're saying, of suicide and that responsibility, oh, that's like even more stigmatizing when death is already stigmatizing enough and failure enough, put them together. Yes. Oh God. There's this yes, but that is Mm -hmm. coming up constantly. Like, yes, everything you're saying makes sense, but maybe I could have done more. Yes. But I had a long week that week. I was pretty drained. Did I have more energy I could have used in this check-in? What did I miss? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember and this is really hard to say out loud, but I remember my gut started to alarm a little bit when I remember checking in with this patient. Can they be safe? I don't know. And then reflecting on my entire experience, my short-term experience with this patient, my gut was going off every time I checked in with this patient mm-hmm. so they can be safe. Mm-hmm. As they were so withdrawn the entire time, that their family did push them to be there. So this is my rationalizing part coming in saying, you did everything you were supposed to. 
And at the same time, saying you need to stop beating yourself up and taking this responsibility because you really weren't part of a team, even if you were last point of contact. How long did it take you to get to that narrative? Was that soon after? Did it take you a while? Like, how did you get there? Admittedly, I'm still working on that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. How do you work on that narrative? How do you help or I should say maybe not you but if if there's another therapist out there who's listening who is processing a, a client death by suicide or any other tragedy um that they or trauma they experience how would you recommend they go about finding ways to care for themselves and rewrite their narratives create space for this loss I think it's important to be selfish in that way because I wasn't selfish enough I was selfish in the way where I wanted to be responsible for what happened for many reasons. And one of those was that being that last point of contact, it felt like I had to be. But if I created the space I really needed to process it, I don't know if that narrative would be so hard for me to let go of at this point in my career. But I do still hold on to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense too. Mm -hmm. And I feel like from hearing you share this story, it sounds like you did have a supervisor, though, who was really supportive and encouraging you to, like, really develop and work on that narrative of, like, it's a team, things like that. Like, how did that play into this experience with your supervisor, like, the team? Was there anything else that stood out that really helped you get through this experience? She was key. Yeah, I mean, I know you guys talk about how important a great supervisor is, and it really is paramount. It changes everything. And she did change everything because the way she took charge of the situation in such a compassionate and empathetic way, where she was totally acknowledging how difficult this experience was while recognizing that there were things to do. Mm. And I really admired her for that. And I appreciated the space that she kept trying to create for me, even if I said yes, but, or I'm fine. Yeah, she listened to her gut and really just kept like, yeah. probably knowing that you needed that, yeah. even though we try to say I'm fine or all of those things. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious, you said too, that she helped lead that group, like right after that staff meeting. Does anything stand out to you about how she talked about this situation? Because you said it sounds like she kind of took charge, addressed it, really like validated the experiences. Was there anything you feel like you took away from that or you learned or that, again, that really stood out to you at that time? Yeah, great question. I love the interpersonal process, group therapy. It was such an incredible experience in general. And within that space, I remember learning even more so that day that even if you don't go through the exact same experience, you can relate to the feelings. And a huge conversation was had about the feelings that were being brought up from just hearing about this person and then dying by suicide when all of these people were thinking about it actively, passively, recently, it's always on their mind. So they talked about the feelings. And I remember that created a space if I wanted to, if I took advantage of it, to acknowledge those feelings for myself as well. We were just in a consult group on the network last week discussing how so often some of the best therapeutic work we do ourselves as therapists come out of the therapy we are delivering to other clients. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that that was a really parallel process that helped you give yourself that space um, 
it sounds like you may not have put your life vest on first, um, but hopefully moving forward, you recognize that pattern. Um, what have you taken from this experience and how have it, has it shaped how you show up for yourself in, a, in as a therapist? Yeah, suicide is something I'm incredibly comfortable with, with my clients. And we talk about it constantly and we dig into it more than I think I ever would have if I didn't have that experience. So there's a real acceptance and compassion that has come with that experience that I'm grateful for. And we look for the silver lining in such tragic experiences like that. So I try to experience that gratitude in that way. And then um, in general, talking about suicide has been something that I'm extremely comfortable with. And I think that's really informed the work that I do. I do a lot of trauma and grief work and suicide comes up a lot in that space, as you guys know. So I think in that way, it's helped a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I think it sounds like we were saying just continuing to talk about it, not only among ourselves, with our colleagues and our peers as therapists, but even with our clients, because it can feel difficult to walk that line sometimes of like how to talk about it with clients, you know, and navigating that piece of it. So it sounds like for you, it has come from that, like being able to talk about it, being able to be open and process it and get into it more. And you see that it sounds like in your work too, which is like you said, it almost feels like a little bit of a gift um, from something that was not great. Yeah. And one regret I do have, I, I didn't have a therapist back then and I have a therapist now. So what that taught me is to create more space in my life for myself and my own emotional needs. And that's been paramount too. So I'm really glad to to learn how to do that for myself. It is necessary, not just for me, but for the work that I do too. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Emily, thank you so much for sharing such an important and powerful story of losing a client to suicide um, with all of us. I know that it's a topic that Allie and I want to talk about more. So we're so grateful for you sharing it. And if anyone wants to connect with you outside of the podcast, where can they find you? They can find me on my soon-to-be-published website at transformativecounselingllc.com. And then you can reach me by email at emily at transformativecounselingllc.com, E-M-I-L-Y. And then you can find me on my Psychology Today page too, Emily C. Walker. Yeah, we'll link all of that in the show notes for our listeners. And just to echo what Catherine said, again, this is a topic that we really believe needs to be talked about more. So we're so grateful for you coming on, like applying to be on the podcast, sharing that vulnerability with us and our listeners. So again, just thank you so much. Thank you for creating the space. I really appreciate it. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine are signing off for this week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We love the Bad Therapist community so much and want to continue normalizing real therapist experience. You can help us by leaving a five-star review or sharing this episode with a friend or colleague. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at air effect. And if you've experienced an actual bad therapist, contact your state health department or head over to stopbadtherapy.com for more information. 
And if you've liked this episode, we've got plenty more. Yeah, over 50 therapist stories ready for you to binge if you can't wait for our newest episode next Monday. <laughs>